0: we mm-hmm. Welcome to Jodorowsky, a podcast devoted to the life and work of actor, writer, poet, playwright, novelist, editor, comics writer, musician, puppeteer, mime, painter, and so much more, including director Alejandro Jodorowski. I'm Doug Tilly, and on this episode, we're looking at a hodgepodge of Jodorowski's film work in the early and a little bit later 2000s, including a deeper dive on the 2003 French computer-animated fantasy film, Kaena the Prophecy. Joining me on this journey are two wonderful co-hosts. First up is my usual collaborator on Cinemas Morris War podcast. It's our own Roi Descamps. Liam O'Donnell. How are you doing today, Liam?
1: I'm good. I have no idea what that means, what you just said.
0: I'm glad you don't, but unfortunately, even if we have some French listeners, my pronunciation would probably make it impossible to know what was. <laughs> I will say, Liam, a few days ago, I was like, you know, it would be funny if I called him something rude in French, and that's exactly what it is, but I also have to admit, I can't remember what it actually means.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> you, ever, uh, you ever spend any time uh, with French people, Liam?
1: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I... Uh briefly in my freshman year i think i had a, a french exchange student who stayed with me and uh he did not like me and he ditched me a lot to hang out with people i didn't know and we found out later that he had uh stolen a bunch of my comic books and a pic- and a picture of my cousin oh that he took with him
0: like it was it a uh a- Tell me about this picture of your cousin. I'm just trying to get it an was idea just a, why.
1: It was just a high school photo of my cousin, Kendra, and he took it. And I don't understand why.
0: I mean, those French are diabolical. I'm just going to put that out there early in the episode.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, it's just <laughs> funny because everyone else's uh, exchange students really nice and friendly and fun to hang out with. And this dude just
2: fucking hated me. And he stole my <laughs> yeah, stuff. Yeah, I had really the weird. same experience. Sorry to jump ahead. I'm not introduced no, yet
0: but I well, also I, let, let me continue. do the introduction and then I want to hear about this as with us as always on Jodowowski is the wonderful writer director Julia Marchesi. Julia you dislike French exchange students
2: no mine was Polish Polish um, and uh, she did not like me at all so that was fun how did she how, how did she show this dislike to you just as it just with disdain
0: condescendence huh.
2: how could anyone not like you Julia? I, I, I don't know. But Liam, I understand. Ask. Liam makes
0: total sense <laughs> to me. But you, I just don't get it. Look, I'm just uh-huh. saying, I don't want to, look, I don't want to disparage the exchange student system. But like an attitude, you got to be, you got to prove your attitude is going to be positive. Don't you think, Liam? You got to be, got to have a good attitude. We're, have you ever considered yourself to, at some point, to be an exchange student, Liam? You ever think about going to another country and living with some other weird family? No. Okay. Well, that's good. (laughs) I went abroad my junior year of college and lived in England. And how was that? I bet you were wonderful to your family
2: there. uh, It wasn't with the family. I just went to college, but I did go abroad for a year. Does that count still?
0: (laughs) I'm sure you were still nice to the people of England, the wonderful, merry people. I fucking
2: love England. What part of England were you in? I was in Norwich. Norwich? Yeah.
0: Do you know Norwich? Only through Alan Partridge, but I mean, I still- Oh, uh, right.
2: uh, Okay. It's, I'm sure yeah. it's a wonderful. It's large, a bad rap, but I find it to be a delightful place. Okay. They have well, a castle from 1096. That's amazing. I love it how,
0: how England has these all these kind of ancient uh, uh, locations. And then you go to America where everything is so relatively new. And it's, you know, you ever watch Antique Roadshow on... In the UK compared to the United States, where, you know, the United States people have things from like 200 years ago, and then you have <laughs> the people in the UK from a from 1,000 years ago. I'm not comparing. I'm just uh, uh, wow. pointing out something that I've noticed a little bit. But, Julia, this might surprise you. We're not here to talk about Antiques Roadshow. We're here to talk about Alejandro Jodorowsky, the wonderful, you know— Usually I have a little bit of fun with the introduction, with all the multifaceted aspects of Jodo's career, but we're going to be covering a lot of it on today's episode, and because we are a little bit crunched for time on this recording, i got to jump right into it with something that I only realized, and I'm sure that there are lots of listeners of this podcast who already were well aware of this before we uh, even started this podcast, Jodowowski, but this is a connection that I discovered recently between Alejandro Jodorowski and the Akira Film, or more specifically, the Akira manga that that then became the Akira film. Now, for those who might not be aware, Akira is probably the most famous Japanese animated film. Do you think that'd be right, Liam? The the most famous and uh, full length animated film.
1: I'm inclined to say yes. Only I think I'm wrong because of the popularity of Studio Ghibli. Ghibli. That's what Ghibli? I was going to
2: say. If you yeah. take if you take them out of the running, then if you're talking about like hard anime not like kids anime then this
0: is it yeah it certainly is the one that kind of broke it open to a lot of people in the west simply because it got so much attention when it was released in 1988 and this was a film in this case directed by katsuhiro otomo a very famous name in uh kind of japanese uh anime generally and again I, i have to apologize listeners i don't know a lot about anime but certainly i'm very familiar with akira and One thing that Otomo has mentioned in interviews previously is that he was struggling with coming up with an ending to Akira until he got together, had a meeting with Alejandro Jodorowsky, who he attributes to giving him the idea for the ending. So Akira was changed forever because of Alejandro Jodorowsky. Now, Liam, I mentioned this to you and you said that you had heard something about this previously but that you didn't have necessarily any direct confirmation. I got as close to confirmation as we can get, which is a tweet from 2014 from Jodorowski himself where he was asked about this, uh, this 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 meeting with Otomo and he said, and this is a translation in Tokyo Otomo made me drink whiskey. I told him something about Akira. I don't remember what. <laughs> uh,
2: Casually, casually changing the face of anime and manga and not even remembering and being like that he could he could just pretend that he said something awesome and he doesn't he's like now don't remember i just love this idea like you're right he could even
0: like take more credit and i think that maybe jodorowsky sometimes gets a reputation for someone who likes to take a lot of credit but here he's just like i don't remember what i said but but i guess even when completely uh, <clears throat> shit-faced uh jodorowsky still is throwing out some pretty unique and interesting ideas are you a fan of uh, akira uh marquesi marquesi i yeah. went with
2: your last name then instead are you a
0: fan I, of akira i Julia? like it no i don't
2: ever get called by my last name but go for it um <laughs> I, I do. I think Akira is really fantastic and I and I've seen some behind the scenes stuff and how much attention to detail was put into it. Um and I haven't read the manga so I should um get on that.
0: Yeah. I actually can't remember much about the ending either, which is a little embarrassing. I, I of should the
1: say. well of the anime or of the manga because they're very different
0: oh are they very different and in this case oh
1: let me give a little context here doug for people who don't know the reason he couldn't come up with an ending for the movie is because the movie was made before the comic was was finished finished. right and he caught up with the manga and he's like well i need to end the movie but i'm not even close to an ending for the manga yet so the movie's just going to be different what do i do so that's why i would the reason it came up that Yodorowsky might have been the one who suggested at least in some way the ending was because I was discussing with people who were more into anime than I am. I'm like a A mild anime fan sure uh, how often anime would catch up with manga and it would be a problem so infamously the reason Dragon Ball Z has the worst pacing ever is because it was a uh, like a monthly manga and the show would catch up with the manga and then there would be nothing to do till Mm -hmm. it was written and so they just kill time for a couple episodes till the manga was finished and Akira was sort of the same thing of like he wanted to make the movie the movie was a great idea but he hadn't finished the manga yet and so it they kind of of exists separately i think at the time he found it really frustrating and then later on he's like it's fine it's cool that they're two different things and that they have different endings because in in a real way because there's more detail in the manga i feel like the manga is about different things than the movie is it's like they're, they're almost separate works of art you know Oh,
0: interesting, yeah And of course, the the manga was created by Katsuhiro Otomo as well So we're still talking about the same creator here but, but very interesting I mean, I just like the idea that Particularly in this period where Jodorowsky was focusing so much on comic work That he was enough of a name that he would be, like, you know Working within that medium And also, one of the fun things about Akira Is that it does have sort of that European-ish feel In terms of the futuristic city Stuff we see in a lot of Jodorowsky's work So I wonder how much influence there already was in that, in the early 1980s when uh, Otomo was uh, originally putting that together And in fact, we're going to be talking a lot today about the influence of Jodorowsky And whether we can necessarily <laughs> recognize it in other things And speaking of that, let's jump into a few announcements on this episode of Jodorowsky Starting with the, uh, as of October 17th, which was just a few days before the, re- the recording of this episode They released, uh, Humanoids released a hardcover of the new In-Call spinoff The in Kill Wolfhead by Brandon Thomas and Pete Woods. I have not checked it out as of this point. I don't think any of us have really kind of jumped into the In-Call spinoffs. I know that we have kind of mixed feelings about it, but I have seen uh, some of the uh, discussion between these creators online. They seem very enthusiastic about it. I do think of all the characters within the In-Call, Kill Wolfhead probably would support a spinoff pretty well because we learn so little about him, and he's such a unique, bizarre character. Uh, as it says in this, the description here, the In-Call's fan-favorite hero-slash-roguish-flirt Kill Wolfhead is back in his own story He's been called many things in his long story Life lover, fighter, entrepreneur And intergalactic hero But you don't live that kind of life without making some enemies And those enemies are now out for blood Uh, I mean, we've asked this this a few times before I know that you have mixed feelings, Julia But what do you think about uh, checking out this Kill Wolfhead hardcover?
2: Well, I just assume we're going to get to it at some point So (laughs) I'm just going to wait until we can cover it, right? I mean, we're We're going to cover, you know, if we're already doing it on a Jodorowsky adjacent episode, right? So I would imagine there's another one coming up at some point. I mean, that that's fair to say. And I mean, I,
0: I try to like mix things up a little bit. This one really is a bit of a hodgepodge, as, as listeners will see as we dive into it. No, and-
2: I like it. And, you know, it's hard because he has his hands on so many pies and so many different mediums that you kind of have to cover everything at once.
0: And as my wonderful co-hosts will, uh, I'm sure, bring up, like some of these things are being discovered as I'm putting together like the outline for the episode. Uh, so I had people, uh, people, I had both Julia and Liam watch things pretty late in the uh, in the hour on this episode, but we'll talk about that in just a little bit. I do want to bring up this. This is kind of interesting. This is an article from DuneNewsNet.com, which is entitled, How Long Would Jodorowsky's Dune Movie Have Been? And this is sort of a deep dive into the idea of Jodorowsky's, Famous, you know, uh, unfortunately unfinished and uncreated Dune movie that he was working out on in the 1970s If you've seen the documentary Jodorowsky's Dune, which I'm sure a lot of our listeners have He mentions that it could be as long as 14 hours And uh, this article dives into kind of the the contemporaneous notes about it About Frank Herbert himself, who mentioned that the script that Jodorowsky had put together um, Probably would have been like 10 hours long and this, basically, this, uh, this article breaks down every bit of information that we have currently in regards to the scripts that are currently available for this movie. Now, Liam, I don't know about you. I didn't actually realize that there were scripts that you could read for Dune. Is this something that you had heard about before?
1: I really thought it was just the, well, okay. I don't know how much detail other than the images is in that big book. That he put together with not just Mobius, but a lot with Mobius, you know, the Bible. Absolutely. So does the Bible count as a script? Is it is it because my thought is they might have included dialogue in the Bible a la a comic book? You know, I don't know. I don't know that we get all that information in the documentary about what kind of script work might have existed, you know.
0: So this is something that they investigate in this article, and they do talk about the the Bible, which, I mean, a lot of that is storyboards and concept art, but does not include the full script. So this is the interesting part that I wasn't actually previously aware of. In March 2015, a script for Dune was released, and Jodorowsky went on Twitter, and he denounced it as a fake script. That script is 305 pages long. However, uh, 76 pages of them are illustrations, so that leaves a 229-page written script. And, you know, generally... You go with the idea that one page equals about one minute of screen time. Of course, that's a very rough estimate. But that would just equate to about four hours for this particular script, uh, even though there's a lot of apparently empty space in the text format. But again, Jodorowsky says that's a fake script. But here's the really interesting thing that I really wasn't aware of. So the movie Psycho Magic and uh, The Healing Art, I think, is how the English title ends up. The Jodorowsky film that we'll be talking about a few episodes down the line. Uh, At this point, I think his most recent actual film psycho magic was crowdfunded uh, on a uh, online crowdfunding site called ululi and one of the crowdfunding perks you could get in 2018 was that you could get a copy of the dune script an actual one huh. and, dis- and despite what jodorowsky had tweeted previously the script that they got was almost exactly the same as the leaked script from 2015 now this script is slightly longer it's 238 pages and it's, uh, it has, like, s- kind of differences here and there. But the page dimensions, because they're they're actually a little bit of a different size, it's actually closer to 200 pages when reformatted into a traditional movie script. So that is as, as official a script that we have and have available, or at least people out there have available, is a 200-page script that was given at the time. Who knows if it was edited to those people? But I thought that that was really interesting. And just one more thing before I get your thoughts on this. In November 2022 just last year an auction house uh actually listed a copy of the Jodarakis Dune script from Chris Foss's personal collection and that one was 167 pages much shorter than the other drafts that we have and it it actually removes a whole history of humanity prologue that apparently uh was was a huge part of those other scripts and then that version would be around 2 2 hours and 47 minutes again just getting I love the research that this person did that they really went into the idea it's like well this movie was going to be really really long, but is the 1410, you know, 12-hour version is that just a huge exaggeration? It's also, you know, once Jodorowsky actually delves into the filmmaking, those, these things can expand all sorts of different directions. But how about that, Julia? Would you be interested in reading a Dune script?
2: Yes, very
0: much. Please. Doesn't give it, it, it to me. Sound... <laughs> that sounds fascinating. I think we could even oh boy. I this might be uh, uh, you know, writing a check that my ass could not possibly cash. Uh, but if we were to get a handle on that script, I wonder if we could base an episode some way around that. Maybe at least incorporate it into an episode. Simply because I'm so fascinated still with the idea of Jodorowsky's Dune, and you uh, should be. And I and am. Now, I am on board. And now that we have access to so many of the. Uh, Storyboards We know that a lot of the images From the Bible Have made their way into the world Uh, I mean it's it's, uh, It's something that you can Kind of piece together Some of the imagery The Mobius images Some of the design work I'd love to see someone Actually make a book you know that just collected a lot of this together That tries to break it down Almost maybe they could make Hey Frank uh, Povich if you're listening right now How about Jodorowsky's Dune 2 The documentary where we collect <laughs> All the bits and pieces That may uh, have not have been covered In the first movie uh, I think that's unfortunately uh, unfortunate What do you think Liam? Would you want to read this Dune script Or do you think that would be absolutely
1: Interminable <laughs> I think it would be, fu- I, here's the thing, I don't read a lot of scripts, so I, in my head, it would be great, but I don't know that I would enjoy reading a script or not, I don't know if that's something that I would be into, but oh. I'm certainly curious, and I would like to see it, and maybe I would love it, I don't know, because my assumption is like, yeah, of course I'd love it, but then it's like, well, I've actually not really read many scripts, I've... I've memorized scripts for plays because I was in them, but I don't really read scripts for funsies. So I might find it frustrating just to read it, especially something that length, just because of the format, but maybe not. Maybe Maybe I would really enjoy it. I'm not sure.
0: I should mention that the author of this article is named Mark. I don't actually have his last name, but it's uh, it's over, uh, I think he goes by the name Dune Info. I'll leave a link to that in the show notes so people can check out that wonderful article. Another recent article is called, uh, this is from youdiscovermusic.com. It's called El Topo and Holy Mountain, the soundtracks to Jodorowsky's masterpieces, the story behind the soundtracks to Alejandro Jodorowsky's psychedelic films. Also a very interesting article. Listeners of this podcast, it does cover a lot of things that you might already know but I did want to bring up this particular anecdote Because I thought it was kind of amusing This is from 2007, an interview with Alejandro Jodorowsky To the cult movie magazine Electric Sheep He's talking about this score to El Topo He says I had a person who played the flute I took a piece by Bach, for instance And I took scissors And I cut it and rearranged the pieces In another order And then I made the guy play it on the flute There was another idea that I called 21 friends I gave a musical note to my friends Do, re, mi, fa, Sola la, et si. He said all of them, of course. So, do re mi fa sol and then I asked them to come to my house, and I was noting the order they were coming, and I made music from that. I was inventing ways to make music. We we did talk about the soundtrack to El Topo when we covered that movie way back then, but just how bizarre <laughs> its process was for creating that soundtrack was something that I never really considered. What do you think about that, Julia? How about the idea of of having the randomness of your friends entering your house
2: determining what the soundtrack would be? It's so creative and such a, it's so thinking outside of the box and so genius and so Jodorowsky. Like that's the kind of stuff that I love about him is like, he'll just think of, like, I I, I, just think of that kind of stuff. It's just so amazing. What a cool guy. What a like genius, genius man.
0: I just like how many layers there is to the oddness of movies like The Holy Mountain and El Topo, and of course others as well. But just the idea that like even when it comes to the soundtrack, he's still just being wildly creative in a way that could have easily blown up in his face. But you listen to those soundtracks, and they're amazing. They're so good. I listen to those soundtracks all the time, especially since we covered the episodes. How about it, Liam? Is this a, an approach to music that you celebrate? or I mean, I know you're a music guy. I know this might be a little off the beaten path for you.
1: No, I do think it's really great. I suspect that uh, someone who maybe knows more about music (laughs) and doesn't like, like, I think you have to be the certain kind of person to enjoy the randomness of what he's trying to do. I think for some people, they would hate that, right? Because they think what's creative about music involves more planning than that. But I love how willing he is to let things just sort of happen and then go with that. I think that's really great. Now, Is it possible that maybe if things were too, like, maybe he did some smoothing over? I'm okay with that, too. Like, maybe he did it. He's like, well, this one doesn't quite work. That's okay. It doesn't all have to be random, but I think it's a good place to start.
0: I also love that. Look, we love Johto here on the podcast, obviously. But just the idea, it's like he's cutting up this like Bach piece and he's giving it to somebody and he's like, play this on your flute. And they're like, what are you doing? What are you making me do here? And of course, they're a professional and they're just making it work and it somehow comes out sounding very beautiful. But I mean, maybe he came up with a dozen or 40 or 100 ideas that were just terrible and he was you know, able to edit himself enough uh also he could be making up some of this who fucking knows that's another thing about Jodorowsky. yeah but also
2: you have to remember when he started out he's a dataist right and like yes. their whole deal is yep. to break down what the system is mm-hmm. and to take what... uh, words and, and mix them up and just make up something random right and that's then a they good point like exquisite corpse and stuff like that and i feel like this is what this is just with music
0: so this is uh, something that I found. I, I dig into a lot of news related to Jodorowsky. There hasn't been a particularly large amount since our last uh, recording, but I did find an article from BomarBlog.com, which was called "Legendary Director Alejandro Jodorowsky Quietly Releases New Ambient EP." Uh, and this, what? Uh, this is I know. Unfortunately, this is not as interesting as it sounds, despite what the person who wrote this article thought. He said, "Legendary filmmaker Alejandro Jodorowsky quietly released a new ambient EP earlier this month." Ambient Moods 1 consists of six tracks and was released via Abco Music and Records. This EP sees the visionary director of cult classics like El Topo and The Holy Mountain exploring soothing soundscapes and meditative tones. As of now, there's little to no information readily available about the release except for its appearance on major streaming services. This is on Spotify. If you look up Jodorowsky on Spotify right now, you can listen to Ambient Moods 1. Unfortunately, what this article does not mention is that this is just repackaged old soundtracks to Jodorowsky movies, just tracks from El Topo and The Holy Mountain. And in fact, there's just six of them. Uh, I actually have a list here for you to look at, but it's just uh, the first track is Topo Triste from El Topo. The second one, which of course was a real tip off for me, was is the climb slash reality zoom back camera from The Holy Mountain. Uh, so it's just a few tracks from El Topo and The Holy Mountain. For some reason, they have tossed them on Spotify under the title... Uh, ambient moods one. So uh, I apologize, Julia, if I if I got your hopes up for a uh, an ambient new <laughs> that Jodo's just making music, just making beats in his house uh, that we could be listening to. But it is kind of fun to see these soundtracks on the um, on streaming services. I just wish that it was new material as opposed to repackaged stuff. Any thoughts
2: on that, Julia? Yeah, I would wish it would be new stuff. I got excited. It was like a whole new album from him. Fuck yeah. But that's okay. I'd... Maybe this will this will introduce him to the kids.
0: Yeah, yeah, maybe so. Hey, who knows? I, wouldn't it be I'd just one one of these songs just become this new hit? Someone starts sampling it. Could you sample a Johto track for a hit hip hop song, Liam? I don't know much about that style of music. You know? <laughs> that would be rad. I'm
1: I'm assuming you could, Doug. I don't know <laughs> much about it either.
0: The wife of Alejandro Jodorowsky, Pascale uh, Montandon Jodorowsky She's been posting a lot of photos and videos of Alejandro recently Some really fun videos We've mentioned before on previous episodes That she posts kind of short videos of him kind of fooling around Doing mime A lot of stuff, just him kind of walking around Uh, You can find that on her Instagram account We'll link that as well But uh, So I, I really do recommend that you check it out It's one of the things about doing this podcast About someone who is now quite elderly is that I find myself when I watch these videos You know Trying to get a sense of how frail he is You know how, how his health is I know that's kind of un, It's kind of a weird uh, relationship that we have With Alejandro But knowing that he's still being very creative It is something that's kind of um, important to me To to know where he is In terms of his physical health And it is nice to see him Kind of fooling around And very relaxed uh, As has been my habit Over the last few episodes I want to finish The announcement section With a recent Instagram post From Alejandro Jodorowski. This is a uh, This one uh, comes Just from this past Sunday It's a picture of How would you describe This picture Julia Of Alejandro That we have here
2: Looking super cool <laughs> Describe oh, Describe, oh, describe what we're belt, looking at here His belt is undone <laughs> That's pretty saucy.
0: <laughs> After that picture of his feet from uh, from the last episode, I don't know what to expect in regards to these photos. But yeah, he, he's looking, uh, I guess, relaxed. He has a pair of black sunglasses on, a nice stylish black eye. In fact, he's dressed all in black. He's the man in black in this particular uh, I- image. How would you describe his, uh, his uh, expression, Julia? Me or Liam? Well, you. Oh, me. Um... A little hard, I think. Yeah, I think so. Maybe pensive. I'm not exactly sure. How about you, Liam?
1: Any thoughts in regards to this photo? I think he's supposed to be be looking thoughtful. Uh, <laughs> I was very confused because I guess he's sitting maybe on like a... St- stone bench or a wall or something but at first i thought that was hay behind him and i was like is he on like a hay bale like what's happening (laughs) in this picture uh because it's it's close in but you can see a little bit of the stuff behind him which includes maybe that's like a plant growing out of a wall next to him sure sure it's it's kind of hard to know exactly where he is but he's got this uh Interesting hat on and some black sunglasses, and he's holding up his his face with his fist, and it looks like he's thinking. But the, because... the eyes are hard though. Look well, his eyes. eyes are that, wide that, open too. That's what I was gonna say. The sunglasses aren't totally opaque, so you can see his eyes. And I thought he's looking at the person taking the picture in a way of saying, "You're about to fall over," or "Are you doing that right?" <laughs> like he, there's concern in his eyes to me. I don't know.
0: Well, uh, by the way, I should mention, listeners, if you do not follow Jodorowsky on Instagram, you should, obviously, but also particularly check out his posts on Sundays. He usually does a little text update like the one that I'm just about to read. He wrote on this past Sunday, Today is Sunday, my day of rest. I hope it is a break for you too. As well, think about useful topics such as health and sincerity. The same problems are the solutions. The disease is also the cure for the disease. Healing begins with the acceptance of the disease and its transformation into an ally of consciousness. Health is consciousness. The path to reach consciousness is information, considering information not as words but as experiences of knowledge that is inscribed in the body and that is presented as a request for what is missing. And what is missing is the experience of total union with the all. The most important thing in existence is our life, and the most important thing in life is not to lie to yourself. The sincere individual does not think, does not feel, does not desire, nor needs. He believes, he thinks, he believes, he feels, he believes, he desires, he believes, he needs. Thoughts, feelings, desires, and needs are not personal. They seem to belong to the human race, but in reality, they are representations of the universal forces that obey the will of the whole. Uh, I mean, I love reading these updates. This, is, of course, is, is translated from Spanish to English. So, of course, there's some nuance that we might be missing here. I just want to read the little bit at the ending here. He says, the poet considers that he should not talk about himself, presenting himself as a sublime model. Let's better keep quiet. In fact, today, I have very little to say. I send you a hug that lasts until next Sunday, Alejandro. I mean, I do love these updates. Do you read these, Julia, when they when he posts them on Instagram?
2: A hug that lasts until next Sunday. That's sweet. Isn't it nice?
0: But are, yeah. are you a regular reader of these updates, Julia? Uh,
2: yeah, I am. Cause I am on Twitter with him as well. So I see yeah. a lot of his stuff there, but just like, such delight. Uh, how much is he dictating this to somebody? Is he actually <laughs> typing this? It's an
0: excellent question. You know, he's written about his love of Twitter previously, and in that, I never get the sense about whether he is dictating it, whether he's telling, like, Pascale to write it or something like that, so it's a little hard to say for sure. Uh, I think we at least have to go with the idea that he is is at least the the author of it in some way. Maybe he's doing voice-to-text. It's one of the things about 2023. It's hard to know for sure, but they certainly feel like they're in his voice consistently.
2: It just feels so incongruous, him on Twitter and Instagram. Like, it makes me feel weird that he, I don't know, you think about him in his, you know, I don't know. It seems crazy that he's something that seems so shallow, I guess, uh, is something that he's embraced. I he would agree so 100%. Deep. Yeah, that's right. And I think maybe
0: he, he, Maybe because of the way that he communicates These kind of small bursts work really well But as we saw even with the, the communication With the, the Akira thing on Twitter Which was a, a question that was asked to him That he responded to And then I looked into the responses to that tweet There was someone asking him about uh, Using psychomagic to help them move furniture in their house And he was answering them in the replies to that as well So it's at least in some way he, he was kind of tuned in He's even I believe published books of his tweets at this point uh, I don't know if any of them have been translated to English. I will say that one of the somewhat annoying things about his Twitter presence these days is that he uses images of text as opposed to just the text for a lot of the posts. So if you need to translate it, you need to write it out yourself and then translate it as opposed to just having Twitter itself translate it. And yeah, I'm still calling it Twitter. Liam, what did you think about what Alandro had to write there?
1: I mean, it is what I've come to expect from him, which is thoughtful, but also a bit esoteric. So... Sometimes I think I know what he's talking about, and other times I'm like, I'm not sure I do know what he's talking about, <laughs> but that's okay. Uh, but also, like, for someone who really describes a lot of his early creative work as so violent and destructive in sort of a philosophical way, as an older man, he wishes well for the people who are his audience so often, and it feels so sincere. like He really does wish well for people even if for him well sometimes might be may your illusions fall away you know it's still <laughs> it's still something i really think he feels it's not a formality it doesn't feel like well i got to say this so people feel good i really think he means well for the people who he interacts with you know
0: i i still feel conflicted over my lack of knowledge regarding psychomagic and how that works in the context of the world and it's something that i'm looking forward to us all investigating a little bit more as we move more into that material, which we will be over the next several episodes. But I will say, even removed from the idea that in some ways he views himself, not officially, but you know, in some way as a therapist or someone who gives life advice to people and direction to people, I do think that at least that advice in the context of these Instagram updates, they seem to be really healthy. They're not telling people to do things that are ridiculous. It's very much about, you know, letting go of illusions, as you said, being true to yourself, recognizing and, and acknowledging your own mental and physical health. I mean, these are things that I think, uh, in terms of wellness and appreciation, are things that I can get on board with. So yeah, I'm a, I'm a big proponent of checking out these Jodorowsky updates, even if, as I've already mentioned, we might be losing a little bit of the nuance in regards to the translation Though I think this stuff kind of translates pretty darn well So that is the end of the updates for this episode We're going to get into some real discussion now So this, as I've already mentioned, is a hodgepodge episode In the 2000s, uh, and the basically in the late 90s, early 2000s, right up to present day There were a lot of little projects that Alejandro was involved in here and there And we wanted to explore those a little bit Now, the largest one that we're going to be talking about today is a French animated film, a a computer animated film from the early 2000s called Cayenne the Prophecy. We'll get into that in just a little bit, and then we're going to talk about an adaptation of one of Jodorowsky's comics from Metal Herlant, a.k.a. Heavy Metal, that was uh, just from a few years ago. But there's some other projects we're going to talk about as well. We're going to take a little break. When we return, the hodgepodge begins. She's not like the other's. Twice, I see her close her eyes and just jump. As if something were guiding her.
1: There is another world out there, and I'm gonna find it. Find her before she escapes the village.
0: We finally, meet your gods. What have you done to my people?
2: We must face our destiny. Time. He's running out. I've
0: seen another world. I've seen a blue sun at the base back. He chose you, Kaina. You are the future. Future? There will be no future. And we're back with Joe Diwowski. As I mentioned right before the break, yeah, this is a hodgepodge episode. Normally, I would come back with some kind of direct information about the first project that we're going to be talking about. But that project, as as you'll realize as I get into it, it's a little hard to find information about it. The first one we're going to be talking about, as much as we can talk about it, is a project from 2002 called Sharif, or Sheriff, a.k.a. Sheriff, I should say. And there is no plot description for this movie whatsoever. It was directed and written by Christian Heinzen and Max Levin. That's the only writing and directing credit for either of those. It only apparently features three actors, Francisco Gomez as El Sevilla, Julio Jung as Dr. Jung, and Alejandro Jodorowsky himself as profit that's just uh, how he is uh accredited in the film there's no poster art for the film if you look it up there is poster art that comes up but it's actually for a different tv series letterbox has no reviews for it uh in fact letterbox has a single one single comment if you look it up and i can't actually uh, pronounce it i think it goes like now ace para Asistar, which literally means don't wait to attend though i think it probably means i can't wait to see it uh, several different sources that I found online suggest that this was a Western, and the title would suggest that as well since it's called, of course, Sheriff, but I would suspect from the information that I've seen, even though I can't have this confirmed, that it was a short film, it was made in Chile, uh, and there's no other information out there about it. It's possible that it doesn't even exist. There's no real evidence that anyone has ever seen it. But I am curious. I mean, anything that involves Jodorowsky and a Western, I know there's not much to say here, Liam, but what do you think about this project, Sheriff? I know, it's a big mystery.
1: I mean, I'm, you know we're curious about things that he uh, is involved with. I wish we had a little more information, but yeah. I am, I am curious about a different take on a Western. You, you know, we've talked about this before, but... I tend to prefer, like, other cultures' Westerns to the traditional American Westerns. So sure, of course. So I'm already a little bit interested.
0: Yeah, especially with the three characters, though. If, if these are the only three characters that are in the movie, I wonder if it would be somewhat surreal as well. Or, or, like I said, maybe it is just a short. I know, Julia, there's not much to talk about in regards to Sheriff, but, I mean, Jodorowsky in a Western has to be interesting at the very least.
2: Well, the fact that there is only three characters is what makes it exciting to me because— yeah. The le- less characters in a movie, the more I like it. So I, I, my, my friends always say that people people talking in rooms is the kind of movies I like. <laughs> so the Breakfast Club and My Dinner with Andre and What Happened Was and those kind of movies. I'm like, sure. if there's only three characters, sign me up. I love that. You need to get into theater more, <laughs> it sounds like, Julia. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Well, you know, I uh, studied drama my whole life. So I'm, you know, I like just watching people talk. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think characters are the most important thing in the film. So if you're not into the characters, what are you watching it for?
0: 100%. Now, if any more information uh, does come out about Sheriff or Sheriff, I will of course, mention it on this very podcast. Or if you are a listener and you might know more about this project, or maybe one of its creators, you could always drop us a line as well. Thankfully, the next project we're going to be talking about, there is a bit more information about it. This movie is a French film called Passe Grave uh, from 2003, a.k.a. No Big Deal. The plot description here is, Three young men raised by a couple of Spanish refugees who took them in are called to the bedside of their adoptive father after he suffers... A heart attack, and this was written and directed by Bernard Rapp, who is a who has unfortunately now passed away. But he uh, he was a French film director and television news presenter, which I thought was very interesting. A very famous French newscaster. He was actually. Um, the very first French newscaster to appear on camera without a tie in 1986 uh, trailblazer, obviously—but also a, a very well-respected director. Uh, he wrote the thriller a *Limited Edition*, starring Terrence Stamp, uh, and that was nominated for uh, best uh, picture at the Mist Film Film Festival. Uh, so, I mean, you know, a well-regarded director, and I think this movie actually did get a little bit of attention when it came out. I unfortunately have not been able to find an English-language version of this movie at all. Uh, my Understanding from what I've read About it and thankfully there is a lot out there written about It because you know it got a lot of festival attention When it first came out is that uh, Jodorowski Plays the adopted father of these Three boys with Pascale Roberts Playing their mother in the film so I Don't know if the part is very large I did uh Track down the trailer though the Trailer is not in English as well Did either of you watch the trailer for this Yeah I, I did yeah. So, uh, how about you, Julia? I know that. <laughs> did you make anything of maybe the tone of the movie? I was surprised to see that there was nudity in the trailer. Uh, Ooh, uh, I was happy I...
2: about that. <laughs> he was beautiful. But, uh, I'm into that.
0: But unfortunately, Jodo himself does not show up in the trailer. But uh, does it look like an interesting movie to you, at least?
2: Why? Why is he in that? It seemed I, like it seemed like some sort of like way too late uh, swingers kind of vibe. But if it if it if it's like it made it seem like a fun road trip with like a hot chick, right? But I was like, oh, but it's also supposed to be like going to their father's dying, so I'm not sure. It did. See, it's it definitely has a kind of
0: uh, comedic drama type tone to it. It seems from 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 the trailer, but yeah, it definitely looks like a movie with a lot of humor in it. That's an interesting comparison, Swiggers. Maybe so. Maybe it does have something like that. But yeah, it's definitely a road trip movie. How about you, Liam? Could you interpret anything from the trailer?
1: I mean, if. If I was watching that trailer and I didn't know that uh, Jonah was involved, the trailer wouldn't compel me enough to like search for the movie. Uh, I might watch it just if it was like easily available and be like, oh, that seems okay. But it wasn't like, I wasn't like so excited. I mean, don't be wrong. Little nudity in the trailer, that's that's great. But nothing <laughs> about but nothing about the trailer was like, Oh, this looks awesome. I can't wait to find it. It seems like the sort of trailer I'd be like, Oh, that seems all right. And then I would forget about the movie until someone else brought it up. You know what I mean? Like I wouldn't like search it out, I wouldn't quest for it. It looks interesting to me I mean
0: this is the kind of movie That I probably would check out If someone was highly recommending it But like yourself Liam It's not something I'm necessarily going to Outside of the context of this podcast Track down just to, just to, just to see it Though I mean I am I am very curious about this Role of Jodorowski being in it I don't know if it's meant to be stunt casting. I don't know how recognizable he's meant to be in it. The fact is, Jodorowski does not do a lot of acting. So anytime he appears in something, there's an element of, oh my God, look who that is. It's Jodorowski in this movie. So I wonder what kind of role that is. I wonder if if he is one of the... Um, major motivators of the action in the movie, since that character, if that is who he's supposed to be, has a heart attack. I wonder how much we see of him in it. I wonder if he's just there in the beginning. Hopefully this is something that can be revealed. This one might be a little bit easier to track down than the other movie, since it clearly actually exists, since there's a trailer for it. Hopefully we'll be able to check it out, or at least Jodorowsky's part in that in the future. We are moving more into things that are more available to us. The next project is Music Canton from 2005. This is an Italian film, even though it has a German title. The title actually Translates to musicians in German. Here's a plot uh, summary from IMDb. It's about Marta She works for a TV station And dreams that she speaks German fluently And is able to play piano Disciplines she does not know This anomaly could be caused By her obsession with Beethoven While organizing An extravagant TV program With her partner Nicola In which all kinds of Intellectuals and wise men appear She decides to undergo A regression As a consequence of this She lands at the beginning Of the 19th century During the last years Of the life of the famous German composer This was directed by Franco Battiato, uh, Also written by Franco As well as Manlio Scalambro Francisco Battiato Is actually Very well known in Italy As a musician Singer and composer This is probably What he's most known for And it probably makes sense That for this film Which I believe Was his film debut In terms of directing I should say uh, Is is so much uh, Focused on music Unlike the other films That we Have talked about so far This one has Been available to us But unfortunately Not in English In any way This is actually on YouTube And you can watch it right now But it is completely Untranslated This is from uh, The Variety of Review of the film from back in 2005. It says, Italian pop star Franco Batatio's directorial debut, Music Canton reps an unappealing bargain. Two bad films, one about a TV producer getting New Age religion, the other a daft biopic about Beethoven for the price of one stinker. Unattractively lensed, clumsily written, and so tedious, it's not even fun to scoff at. It's hard to see this going anywhere beyond Battaglio's local fan base, although hardcore movie buffs, a.k.a. us, We'll be curious to see cult helmer Alejandro Jodorowsky chewing the chintz as the deaf German composer. Yes, listeners, Alejandro Jodorowsky plays Beethoven in this movie, uh, which you can watch at least his performance on YouTube right now. I don't know if either of you were able to at least uh, poke around the movie a little bit to get a sense of his performance, just starting with you, Liam. Did you uh, look at any of this? I did not. Well, I did, Liam, and it does seem to be a pretty wild you know it it, it mentions kind of scenery chewing performance it definitely does feel that way it is fun to see Jodorowsky like playing an actual character especially a historical character like that I do say though I I do want to say I think he might be dubbed in the movie at least the version that's available to us but because of the already mix of different uh languages here who knows what might be going on how about you Julia were you able to look at any of this
2: yeah, I was so excited to see him as Beethoven. I thought he was really good. Obviously, I yeah. couldn't understand what he's saying, but you he's still I mean, he's a, you know, he started as a mime. So you get the body language you get what he's going for, and I feel like he gave a better performance than the film seemed to be.
0: <laughs> he certainly seemed a lot more alive than anything else in the film from what I agree. Uh, So yeah, listeners, I'll leave a uh, link to the YouTube video So you can check it out At least watch pieces of his performance Hopefully we can find a version with English subtitles I will say, listeners I was searching far and wide for subs for this For the past few months And I have been uh, unable to check it out Uh, At least one person who speaks English has seen it though uh, Because uh, over on Letterboxd There's a review that says Nonsense! Incredibly annoying and forgettable. Mediocre acting and terrible uh, addition It says probably editing. One of the worst films I've ever watched. I was expecting more since the director has been a musician for decades. Still sounds like a pretty interesting concept. And uh, you know, that's we'll, harsh. I know. Well, it's Letterbox. People just love to
2: be harsh on there. <laughs> I know, but they don't. I mean, you have to take in consideration, like because you know, on the other side of the camera, like, all those people worked really hard on that film. Like the costumer and the lighter, you know, the grip and the gaffer and everything, and then people just say mean things. Like, yeah, I don't. I always feel bad when I don't like a movie because I don't want to be mean to them, but also, you know, I didn't think this movie. Like, from what I could tell, this movie wasn't horrible. It's not the worst film you've ever watched. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I
0: I I I I used to write a lot of reviews, but I stopped because I was very bad at writing negative reviews. Because, like yourself, especially because my focus was on really low budget, micro budget cinema, and I'm like, these people don't need this. They're already stru like they're just doing so much with so little. To me, it was only when people were obviously not trying that made it made it frustrating for me. But for something like this, yeah, and this is going to be a theme for what we're about to talk about. Lots of well meaning. You know, very uh, hard working people putting work into something, and maybe the result isn't quite everything that they hoped it would be. And by that, I am going to now start talking about our subject du jour, Kaina La (laughs) Prophete, Prophete, La Prophete from 2003, aka Kaina The Prophecy. (laughs) So, as I mentioned before, this is a computer animated film from 2003. Uh, I've read in some different places that this might be the first. Full length French animated uh, Computer animated film I don't know if that Is actually the case But at least Is very early In that cycle Of full length Animated movies Now the other thing To note about this Is that this movie Was released in 2004 In the United States With an all star voice cast And that is the version That we watched For this particular episode This is the plot of it It says On the distant planet axis Rebellious high spirited Teenage girl Kaina Defies the high priest And her people's Ancestral beliefs To take a perilous journey And discover What dark secrets Lie beyond the clouds And uh, yeah, this was directed by Chris Delaporte He doesn't have any other credit Except for the Cayena video game Which I also talk about In just a little bit That came out for PlayStation 2 in 2004 Only in Japan So this is a French movie That got a disastrous release in France A disastrous release in the in the US And has a video game That never even made it to Europe Or the US It was co-directed by Pascal Pignon, Who also, his only other credit Is the video game And this should not surprise you listeners This movie was first conceived of as a video game back in 1995. And then it became something else entirely. And part of the reason it became something else entirely is that it has... An army of writing credits on this Starting with the story uh, The story of it uh, came from Patrick Dahar And Chris Delaporte Who was the uh, uh, the co-director Patrick Dahar actually was one of the creators Of the classic video game Flashback uh, a, a European-based video game from the 1990s Which I had back on PC back then The screenplay itself was written by Tarek Hamden uh, Chris Delaporte and Kenneth Opel uh, Kenneth Opel is actually from British Columbia He also created a 13-episode animated series in 2003 Called Silverwing I'm not sure why his credits is called Screenplay Collaboration at first I thought it was because he might have worked on the English language version but no that was done by Susie Landolfi who also wrote the children's soccer film Just for Kicks in 2003 with Tom Arnold and then there's a bunch of credits for just dialogue including the director uh, including Tarek Hamden who was also part of the screenplay and Benjamin Legrand He's a prolific French writer. He translates a lot of American work into French. uh, Authors like Tom Wolfe and Robert Ludlum. But he also took over the comic that was then turned into Snowpiercer. He didn't write it initially, but when the author of it died, he is now the person who writes the Snowpiercer comic or the the, the property that Snowpiercer was made from. And then comes the most important credit for this episode, which is... um, The credits of additional screenplay material One of those is attributed to Pierre Bordage And Pierre Bordage is one of the most famous sci-fi writers in France Uh, It says on his uh, site uh, here With more than 20 novels published in just over a decade His books often touch on the spiritual aspects of society In a style that combines the best of classic adventure stories With reflection on the future and the present And he wrote a novelization of this movie And then there's Alejandro Jodorowsky Who has an additional screenplay material Credit, and this is something that we'll talk about in just a little bit. I have some information here, but I'm going to go back to that because I want to start uh talking about this movie proper, including its cast. Let's just jump into it. Starting with you, Julia, what did you think
2: of Kaina? Oof, man, you know,
1: the thing is,
2: I, I, this early, it's not even that early, like this, this, the this clearly looks like a video game, and Mm -hmm. this kind of computer animation leaves me quite cold. So it's hard for me to get into it at all because I just don't like looking at it. And so I generally kind of try to avoid like CGI from this. But but, th- but this feels like a late 90s thing more than a 2000... What is it? 2004? Three. Yeah, 2003,
0: Three. 2003.
2: 2003, like this feels late for this quality of CGI to me.
0: What if I was to tell you, Julia, that 2003 was the year that Finding Nemo came out?
2: Uh, it, well... Yeah, that makes it look worse.
0: (laughs) (laughs) An unfair thing for me to say, right? An unfair thing to compare this to a Pixar film which had a much bigger budget, had much, much, much more resources available to it. They're obviously working with something, you know, people working with really video game based tools they were used to doing cg sections for video games which usually are just like you know a minute in length 30 seconds in length and here they are doing a full-length movie but julia you are right it's it's a little difficult to look at do you think
2: that's fair to say that it's just kind of an
0: ugly looking movie
2: yeah it's just it's not there's like all there's no color in it it's all kind of browns and and earth tones and so it's not very eye-catching yeah, it just feels like I'm watching uh, like the movie part of a video game,
0: really. And in fact, the video game version of this has a lot of CG, you know, uh, cutscenes within it. I was watching some videos of the play just a little bit earlier today, and yeah, it's just as brown and kind of unappealing to look at as the uh, as the movie itself is. Which is kind of unfortunate Because one of the whole Kind of purposes About the movie Is that Kayan And this character Is searching for something With more life And more color And you're kind of hoping That you'll see it And you do In the last five minutes Of the entire movie And you're like Boy It it almost feels As, as um, enlightening And uh, exciting For me as a viewer To finally see Bright blue In this movie As it is for the character
1: Simply because I was just waiting For something more colorful And interesting to look at Liam what did you think? If I ignore some of the things that y'all have been talking about uh, <laughs> because I agree with everything that you said, although I will say, uh, I I do want to mention really quick, 2003, it's easy to compare this to Finding Nemo and say, oh, this looks terrible. Uh, unfortunately, my daughter went through a phase of being obsessed with Barbie movies. Yes. And I will let Ooh. you guys know that there are Barbie movies that look worse than this that were made in 2015. Okay. That's that. This sort of uh, really rough uh, CGI movie is all over streaming channels, especially movies made in Europe. Uh, long into the 20, far past it makes sense for them to exist in the 2010s. And even like by 2015, it had to cost nothing to make a movie that looked like this, but they were still doing it. So when I started this, I thought, oh, no, I'm very familiar with this animation style, unfortunately, because, you know, for a while, Maeve was just watching anything on any streaming channel that had a fun poster. She'd say, let's watch that. And sometimes the visuals in those things are a torture. But I got to agree with Julia that this is worse because of what I'm sure felt like a daring aesthetic choice, which is there's no colors in this movie, really. It's all one tone. That being said, what's the story like? How's the story work? And um, I also didn't like that, unfortunately. I really thought that would be the saving grace is that as soon as the animation started, I thought the visuals are going to be difficult. But maybe the characterization will be fun, the story will work. And there's some ideas here that I kind of like. Um, there's very much, it doesn't quite go all the way, but this feels like one of those movies that kind of posits a sci fi beginning for the human race. Like, yeah, yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. there was a period in the late 90s, early 2000s where I was watching a chunk of anime. And there's an anime movie where you're in space and all the astronauts are women and they're trying to escape this evil alien. And eventually the alien gets on board and impregnates one of them and they have a child who's male, which they don't know what that means, and they crash land on Earth and that's the beginning of the human race. And I think this kind of has that vibe of like, we came from aliens who crashed here and whatever. (laughs) And I, you know, okay, sure, that's fun, I guess. But uh, for a story that's trying to be this epic, it feels very small and because the visuals are not very impressive – it, you really are re- relying on this dialogue, which also, at least in the English dub, felt very stilted. Yes. And uh, a guy I normally love, Greg Proops, as the walking worm, <laughs> is so grating and annoying, which is the character. It's not that he's not doing what the character's supposed to be, but I have never hated Greg Proops' voice more. Than him as this worm. Every that's time hilarious worm,
2: because I was just gonna say he's my favorite part. <laughs> oh my god!
1: I, and it might just be me, but as I was watching the movie, I was like, "God, I wish he would shut the fuck up!" Like every time he <laughs> talked, it really bummed me out. And I listened to his podcast back in the day. Like I, it's not him, but in this movie, I didn't like it. Uh, but you know, I will say if if we're talk, just talking in a script sense, I, that I'll agree with. One of the stronger parts of the movie, because there's not a lot of characters in this, and because they're animated so poorly, sometimes it's hard to know, other than Kaina herself, who some of these motherfuckers are supposed to be, because you can't really see them. So it's hard to... Like, which one is that supposed to be? Okay, I think that's that one. All right. Uh, So I don't know. I, I, I wasn't a huge fan. I will say, going back to how I started this, have I seen worse animated films? Yeah, I have. But this is an animated film for... I think older folks, maybe teens. Maybe it's not for adults. Maybe it's for teens, but it's certainly not a cheap cash in on easily amused toddlers, which a lot of these sort of movies have been. This is meant to be like a compelling story, and it, it just doesn't quite get there. So, but it's not the worst thing I've when it comes to this level of animated film that I've seen. It's 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 fine, but it really. If the visuals were more compelling, I might be more forgiving of some of what I found to be a bit of a clunky story.
0: It's hard for me to be too mean about this. Not that I should be anyway. Sure. But, But in the last couple of days, I watched a short making of documentary about this movie. And apparently this documentary was actually included on the Kaina video game in Japan and I think on some of the D V D releases as well. And it's only about fifteen minutes long and it has interviews with all the people involved and they're just so passionate about mm-hmm. this movie that they're trying to make. And they're trying to make something that is a little more adultly, but you're right, for teenagers, like a PG related rate, rated thing, and they they really care about it and they're they're very open. It's like the resources that we have here are for making video games. It's not for making you know, like high resolution Pixar like uh, features But we're gonna do it We're gonna be the first We're gonna push this out Into the world We're taking it very seriously And I will say that, that there's something Very unique about this movie Right It's unique in the way That it feels European It feels like something That you might read In something like Metal hurlant Or Heavy Metal Right It feels like It's telling a story That is very disconnected From the kind of stories That we hear uh, That we were seeing From Pixar at that time period And that we would see afterwards And that's what I found Kind of refreshing about it But It is so unpleasant to look at and the decision to have humanoid characters in it that are so kind of weird and uncomfortable to (laughs) look at and spend time with I think that's what's made it age the worst and I have to say I was a little confused and I want to get your takes on this with the sexualization of Kaina a little bit, particularly in the first quarter of the movie, like they they dress her very. I'm not. I mean, look, I'm not going to say provocatively, like I'm some sort of prude, but you it's just weird. You see her ass crack.
2: Of course, you it's see crack. her ass
0: crack. It's just. It's just she's meant to be a sexualized being in some ways, and there's also. You know, there's some sexual stuff later with uh, the Keith David character, you know, basically using a threat of sexual violence against her, which is kind of unpleasant. It feels like it goes into some territory that is kind of unnecessary for the story that they're telling and also was meant to appeal to people that I don't care if they're appealed to in regards to it. Do you have any thoughts on that, Julia? You mentioned the ass-crack thing. Hey, that's certainly something
2: that that stood out. It's made for teenage boys, right? If it's going to be a video game... That's what it's made for. So, of course, they're going to make it like that because why do people like playing Tomb Raider? Like, yeah, it's a fun game, but also you want to look at Laura Kauf because she's hot, right? It's like, that's part of the deal.
0: Yeah. I guess so. I also wonder about that design, right? The ass crack. In the video game, you're constantly seeing the back of the character. I wonder if that's a contributing thing. I am I know that I might. it might sound to listeners that I'm overthinking this, but it is strange. It's just it was hard not to be distracted by it a little bit, but it did reinforce the adultness of it, but not necessarily in the most pleasant way. Uh, Liam, did you have any thoughts on that? Is that something that you notice while you're watching it, or am I just being a prude?
1: Uh, it's not that you're being a prude. It is very pronounced, especially because there aren't any other characters who look like her. So she sort of stands out in that sense. But, um, but I, I dismissed it immediately when I, I didn't do much research, but when I read that this <laughs> was made by video game folks, I thought, Oh, well, every video game, especially in the two thousands, every female character looks this way. So like, okay, yeah. that makes sense. I mean, and i don't just mean that in a dismissive cultural way i mean technically speaking if you have an avatar that you've been using for other video game things it makes your life easier to just reskin that avatar like they've they've already animated a a, a you know This might not always be clear, but my guess is some of the stuff we're seeing in this, they're probably using, uh, you know, uh, formats that they've used for games before, but, you know, reworking them for the movie. So, like, if you have a standard sort of main female character thing that you've used for other video games, it makes your life so much easier to reskin that thing that you already know. You've already programmed how it moves, how that sort of character moves in certain scenarios, it makes that animation a bit easier. So I get that they wouldn't want to rework the whole mechanics of that. That all makes sense to me. And I'm not offended by how she looks per se. I mean, don't be wrong, for those people who haven't seen it yet, it is not human, right? It's not just that she's attractive; yeah. it's an inhuman shape. But like, okay, again, uh, Julia brought up the best example, Lara Croft, right? It's more rational than Lara Croft, which just doesn't make any fucking sense in sure. human dynamics. And we're used to it. that's so old that I wasn't necessarily struck by it. And I want to agree with something else you said, Duck. It is very reminiscent of Metal Hurlant, and Metal Hurlant can be very intellectual it's also very horny like yes, every other very much so. every other heavy metal story is like kind of horny and often not exclusively but often from a heterosexual male perspective it's horny so you're used to seeing certain things again it's gotten more diverse recently but in the past that was what it was for the most part so none of that really like struck me it just i think it would have been maybe a little less distracting if there were some other female characters of her age, but she's apparently the only young woman in the whole tribe. (laughs) And so she sort of stands out from the rest of what we see on screen.
0: It's, I think also it might be a way for them to sort of mark this as a movie that's more for teenagers right it's just like right away it's like this isn't the kind of character that you would see in a toy story movie this is something that's a little bit different right so maybe that's something they just wanted to make very clear it's just kind of odd it just kind of stands out specifically when you think about the kind of movies that were coming out at that time but again maybe that was the point now i mentioned before that this movie had an all-star voice cast For the U.S. release And it really does A lot of familiar voices Including Kirsten Dunst Did the voice of Kaina Richard Harris In his I believe Final role Did the voice of Opaz Who was kind of A mentor character For her a little bit later Angelica Houston Keith David Mike McShane And Greg Proops Both of them From uh, Whose Line Is It Anyway uh, Do voices Tom Kenny SpongeBob Squarepants himself Does a voice As the uh Kind of forgettable male uh, partner to Kaina Or at least at some point We have Tara Strong, Dwight Schultz, John DiMaggio Bender himself from Futurama does a voice here Lots of familiar voices all the way through Liam, you mentioned that that you thought That some of it was kind of stilted In terms of how they delivered the dialogue That's sometimes a real you know challenge When it comes to a movie that was made With a different language track initially Julia, do you agree with that? Did you find that the dialogue was stilted? Who did you think did the best job?
2: uh i liked i liked bad proofs i was like at least there's like you know a slight comic relief worm like did he not remind no... you a
0: little bit of those robots from the metabarons comic that's what i kept thinking whenever he was talking those kind of intentionally just a little bit grading characters
2: yeah like the, there's also the robots in uh valerian and the thousand planets one right. there's crazy robots. Um yeah, I don't know because this this movie has no sense of humor besides that. This movie very if if That's he wasn't very, in there, there'd yeah. be there'd be nothing. It would be straight drama. Which it's actually very... I agree.
0: I actually agree with you, uh, Julia, as opposed to Liam. I did find his performance sometimes to be intentionally grating. But the very fact that he had more of a lively performance, I was like, well, I want to have that character because at least he's fun to have in the scene, right? Because I don't
2: really feel any connection. To Kaina I'm not really rooting for her like I don't feel really emotional connection with I felt very distanced from this movie and I don't yeah. know if it was just the animation or the whole story because I was I found the story kind of confusing and I didn't I don't know I didn't really and I felt really bad because all these people tried really hard in this movie but I didn't really care <laughs> about anybody
0: it was I mean that's the I, I think when it comes right down to it that was also my biggest difficulty with the movie I found some of the themes really interesting just the idea of this kind of Uh, You know uh, Outer space error That ended up causing the creation Of this entire species of people And the idea of it, you know Maybe uh, leading to the creation of Earth Or an Earth-like planet I do kind of like that in sci-fi Even if it was one of the things That irritated people most About the Battlestar Galactica series In the early 2000s But I mean, I do think that thematically There's some interesting stuff About the environment that's going on here There's certainly a lot of themes around Um the following of Mass Religions, which felt very Jodorowskian, actually. In it's Yeah, experience. it was kind of atheist. I was into that. That was kind yeah. of Yeah, which was, I mean, that was kind of surprising. and certainly feels a little more adult than the kind of themes that you would see in movies of that ilk at that time period. How about you, Liam? What did you think about the performances of the voice cast here?
1: I mean, you know, uh, is that, was that, uh, I think you said it and I forgot. Was that Keith so- David? Is the- Oh, yeah. I, you know, even though that character is shitty, I love him being a shitty guy. Like he yeah. just has that that surly voice that I really think is great. And you know, I think you guys are right. I think it helps that Greg Proops is there to add comedic whatever. It just got on my nerves, man. I don't know what it was, but it just really got on my nerves. On the other hand, would I prefer this movie with no comedic relief? (laughs) God, no. It's a very self-serious movie. It really would bum me out if there was no comedy at all. So I I guess I like that aspect of it. Uh, I kind of wish the other worm, who I thought was less annoying, maybe would have had a stronger role. But then he wasn't very funny either. Maybe he should have had some comedy (laughs) as well. Uh, uh, Yeah, I mean, I guess the other performances are fine. Um, nothing really stands out, though. Like, the the evil queen doesn't get to do much. The alien guy is just very stoic. Uh, Kaina, again, she's, she just is like, I, I've never quite understood the idea that our hero or heroine or whatever you want to say our protagonist needs to be as blank as possible so that we can identify with them. I that's a theory in certain kinds of animation and comic work and sometimes I get it and other times I think no I wish they were more like she just doesn't have a lot of personality and I really wish there was more ways to connect with her because you know she is not just our protagonist but ultimately the savior of this whole sort of yeah. setup and She just doesn't seem to have much there other than she's not just going to follow this, like, very mean priest guy who's like, we have to... You know, drain the sap from the tree and then just (laughs) pour it into a hole, even though we need the sap to live, just pour it into the hole. It's fine. And that just seems like a bad idea all around. So, why aren't there more people going, I don't know, this guy doesn't seem to know what the fuck he's talking about? So, I, I, you know, it's the the performances were fine, but they're, they're, you know, outside of a few like really standout performances, a lot of it felt very blank to me uh, and didn't really like strike me uh, in a way where I, I was compelled by it.
0: I I think you are getting at something very unfortunate about that kind of character, which is... She isn't really... I think we mentioned like a, her as a blank slate. I don't know if she's a blank slate, but she's very much a generic hero's journey protagonist, right? Which is that she does... Crave something more than the limited space like She's very Frodo-like in that case Right? She's like, I have a sense of adventure in me I want something more than this small place that I live I want to explore more And that is what we're supposed to connect with That she wants more and is willing to do things To promote this uh, ability to explore outside of her small world But she also is kind of a savior figure at the same time Which is not unusual in these kind of stories The problem is that she doesn't have much personality Right? She's not. She's very much kind of... I hate to use this word, but she is kind of victimized all throughout her. She's kind of brought along and she's always like having to run away from things. And even though she shows herself to be very capable, she's kind of being brought along by these other characters and never has a full kind of understanding of what's going on until the very end of the movie. And I found that very frustrating. We're supposed to be learning things as she learns them. And it just felt like I was always kind of falling behind. And to be totally honest, I'm still not sure I really understand like the context of like the queen and Vox and the Keith David character and exactly what all of their motivations were. It just felt so muddled and it all gets kind of lost in this, this kind of brown gray ugliness of the entire movie. Well, um, if you
2: have that many writers on a project, that's a problem.
0: Yeah, that is a if problem.
2: You lo- if and you look at a writing credit and you're like, there's like nine people, you're like, Oh no, that's not good.
0: And that does, that's a great transition, Julia to Alejandro Jodorowsky, the, the subject of this very podcast You might be wondering, listeners like What does is, what is his involvement of this movie entail? And that is an excellent question Now, the main thing I've been doing for the last few months In regards to this podcast Is trying to figure out What did Jodorowsky have to do with this movie? And I have a few small theories So first, I found an interview from 2003 with Pierre Bordage The, the sci-fi writer who I mentioned earlier uh, This is translated from French It says... And was the main idea conveyed by the book, because this is talking about the the book translation of it, namely to encourage children to form their own opinion by living their own experiences already present in the initial scenario. And Pierre Portage says, honestly, I can't tell you because I really didn't feel it there. And now I don't know what the precise intention of the creators of the universe was on this point. I felt this story as an initiatory adventure intended to escape conditioning. We just have to see if this idea also emerges from this film. There is not only this idea in the book, there is also the discovery and acceptance of others. These subjects often fall into my own themes, so I grabbed it. You should also know that at the start of the project, Jodorowsky also took a little tour, and the initiatory quest has always been one of my favorite themes. That's one of the only mentions of Jodorowsky working directly in some way, with the creation of this film. Maybe he just gave some advice. Maybe he just gave a few ideas for the story. But the one thing that I have seen in many different reviews of this, often in French, are references to a comic series that Jodorowsky uh, wrote starting in 1983 and publishing in eight albums until 1998 called The Adventures of Aleph Tho. Uh, And this is, again, a comic book series, eight uh, albums. There's actually even a spin-off series that started in 2008. This is apparently like a very notable piece of science fiction, uh, one that I had never heard of before. And it actually – there is a little difficulty here for us because it's never been officially translated into English. I did uh, track down a fan translation of this in English, and I was reading through it. Julia, were you able to read through any of this at all? I wasn't. I'm sorry. No, you don't have to be sorry whatsoever. And in fact, I would have – Warned you away from reading it Not because it wasn't good Because I hope actually Maybe we'll get to cover it At some point in the future As a whole uh, But because I couldn't see The connection A lot of people said that I read in some places That this They said that Kaina is based on The Adventures of Aleph Tho By Alejandro Jodorowsky And I'm telling you it's not directly based. The story isn't the same. For one thing, the, the main character in that comic book series is Aleph Tho, not a character named Kaina. There is a female protagonist who I guess shares some qualities, but the main thing about this series, and again, listeners, if you are already familiar with this, I apologize if I get any of this wrong. It's eight volumes. It's huge. And in the last two volumes, I think it gets like super meta. It like takes place in the real, our real world, and it's someone in a coma, and it's it gets really bizarre. But it's about a guy who like, Doesn't have any limbs Like he has no arms or legs And then he at the end of the first volume He gets legs And then he has to fight with just legs And it takes place in sort of a similar universe That there's like a lot of woods And a lot of like uh, uh, people who live in the woods And up in the trees and things like that But aside from that I could see no... Similarity whatsoever So maybe if you get If you dive deep Into the series There are elements That are kind of Handpicked here and there But aside from That kind of European And I know that's a Weird Weirdly uh, loose uh, Way to describe it But aside from The European tone Of the movie I just didn't see The connection Liam were you able To check out Any of these
1: books At all No I didn't get A chance to
0: Again, I would hope that at some point in the future That we could take a little look at the world of Aleph Though it does sound like it could be a fun thing for us to check out But as far as I can see the only connection that Jodorowsky had to this movie was perhaps giving them some initiatory ideas or some ideas uh, near the beginning of the development of that. But was that in the 90s? Who knows? And that they may have taken certain themes and certain concepts, maybe even direct dialogue, at least in the French version, from The Adventures of Aleph Tho. So uh, that is, as far as I can tell, Jodorowsky's influence on the movie. With that said, I want to finish up our conversation on Kaina with the question that that I think is the most important. Is there anything Jodorowskian that you can see about this movie? Starting with you, Julia, did you ever feel that this had a uh, an Alejandro Jodorowsky influence on it?
2: If I wasn't watching this movie with Jodorowsky in mind, no. No. But thinking about it, I go, okay, you know, he he does a hero's journey sometimes. There's this very, uh, I like the fact that it's like it's not, it's about breaking away from conditioning. That's cool. And it's about finding yourself, yada, yada. Um and the ending all feels like, a you know, this beautiful blue light that's going to change your life and et cetera like that. I could read that, but it's not enough to make me be like, oh, Jodorowsky totally, you know. <laughs>
0: It certainly doesn't have the kind of wild visuals That we associate, right? I mean, that's the thing about a movie that this is that is this Even though there's a lot that goes on in it It's so bland looking And no matter what you think about uh, Jodorowski's films Blandness is the last word we, I would use To describe the visuals of them, right? There's They tend to be very colorful And very kind of stylized Compared to what we're seeing here So I think visually I can't connect to it at all In terms of thematically Well, I can see it But then again there, like you were saying, the 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 idea of, of you know a a hero who is going to be put through his paces through a uh, a a adventure or a journey of some kind is not uncommon in the comics work we've seen, and especially kind of some of the lighter uh, comics work that we've seen from Jodorowsky. So, uh, and and I will say in particular the religious aspect of it does feel a little Jodorowsky, simply because it seems like it's something he incorporates into almost all of his comic work at the very least. So, uh, how about you, Liam? Did you feel anything Jodorowsky
1: about Kinda. I mean, there's a like you've already mentioned. There's a uh, a very heavy metal in the idea of the magazine vibe that I think sometimes just reminds me of Jordyrowski because that's some of his stuff is the stuff I've read in heavy metal. So I, you know, I kind of was like, okay, you know, we're in a weird sci-fi environment. There's a mixture of like the space science thing, but also, like, religion and belief. Like, there's vibes. But all that could have just been anyone saying, oh, I like stuff that Jodorowsky worked on, so it influenced me. There was nothing for me that felt so obviously him that I was like, oh, yeah, I can tell. He really was involved in this. It just wasn't there for me. And that's not a criticism of it. Like, I don't think that's why I don't love the movie. But I do kind of wish there was more of his kind of uh, 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 style there because it might have made it a bit more interesting or engaging than it was, you know?
0: It could just as much be the
1: influence of, hey, everyone
0: involved here grew up reading Metal Herlant, so of course that influence made its way into the movie. Yeah, it could just as much have been that as it was Jodorowsky working in some direct capacity. This is a movie that was clearly influenced by the kind of work that Jodorowsky does, but I don't think that you feel much of his influence on it. But I will say, it does make me a lot more curious about the idea of what would a Jodorowsky penned computer animated film look like, where he's kind of free of the... Constraints of live action. Uh, unfortunately, that that movie that exists in my brain right now is certainly a lot more entertaining, a lot more interesting than Kaina is. It is unfortunately, <laughs> it is it's, it's, unfor- it's an unfortunate failure. The people involved really were trying to do something special. Obviously, they were very passionate about it. Some someone down the line thought that it was going to be a lot more successful than it was. The very fact that it got a U.S. release is actually kind of amazing. And there were people who really thought this could have been something, but unfortunately, it uh, it was not. Um, What is slightly more connected to Jodorowsky as a creator, in fact, significantly more connected, is an episode of the Metal Herlant Chronicles, season one, episode five of it, called Master of Destiny. Uh, I only discovered this over the last few weeks, and I really just kind of threw it at you almost at the last minute. I want to talk about this before we finish up today. So, Metal Herlant Chronicles, this is a show from 2013. Uh, An English language, Franco-Belgian television series, which is an anthology series that basically every episode uh, adapts one of the stories from Metal Herlant, the anthology comic series, also known as Heavy Metal in the West, and one of the stories that they decided to adapt in the first season was Le Mater du Destin by Alejandro Jodorowsky and Adi Granov. Uh So, yeah, so this was uh, published back in 2004 in Metal Herlant, number 143. And it was also, thankfully, published in English in a compilation that was released uh, called Screaming Planet, which were basically a lot of different Alejandro Jodorowsky penned stories from heavy metal were translated and just put into this anthology uh, of work that we were able to read. That was then, you know, of course, translated into... This particular episode I don't know if the script Was based on the English version Or the French version But I will say Generally This is a very um, uh, Accurate translation Uh, There's some things That have been added But it's very very close To the story So this feels a lot more Jodorowskian in some ways Than some of the work That we've talked about Do do want to mention briefly That in terms of the comic Adi Granoff is a very well known artist someone i was actually very familiar from his work with marvel specifically his work on iron man he used to do like covers and some interiors as well he's kind of known for being a rather slow uh, illustrator, but have very, very detailed and very realistic work. He actually ended up doing keyframe artwork for the 2008 Iron Man film. He, he works both as concept art, does a lot of covers, works in film. A very, very talented artist who who got, kind of got a little bit bigger in the world of comics after uh, his, his collaborations on stuff like this. Um, but uh, we're here to talk about Jodorowsky, and we're ta- here to talk about this adaptation. But before we get to the adaptation... Uh, let's talk about the comic a little bit. Uh, what did you think, Julia, of this uh, work? It's
2: only short. I think it's only like ten pages or so. Did you enjoy it? Um, I thought this was awesome. I really liked it. I, th- I, I mean, I, as far as watching, reading the comic, and then going into watching this, yeah, um, because I think it was one of the most faithful adaptations I've ever seen. Like they really went word for word, beat for beat. I was like, okay, they're doing all of it, and it looks good. Like it was better. I liked the main guy. He like really seem like what I what I pictured when I was reading it and same for the girls so like right on I think they did a good job and I think if you're going to adapt something adapt it as close as you possibly can because that makes people happy
0: yeah I should note by the way that this tv series had a lot of Familiar actors for people who are at least nerds like us, like Scott Adkins showed up, Michael Jai White showed up in it, James Marsters, uh, I mean, just people that you might recognize, Rucker Howard actually, I believe he actually does that voiceover at the beginning talking about Metal herlon he shows up in an episode as well, but in this particular episode stars Joe Flanagan, who I think is from one of the um, uh, Stargate TV shows, and Kelly Brooke, who's a pretty famous model, and they're really the, the, the two leads in this, with With uh, Joe Flanagan's character being kind of like a roguish, almost like a Han Solo-ish type person. You know what I'm talking about. Like a space pirate or a mercenary. Um, And so he's in the midst of a mission. His partner dies but tells him of this planet of kind of like, I think they call them turtle sapiens, of people who know when... Everybody is going to die Every human is going to die And he is so curious about this That he goes to visit the planet To find out when he's going to die And when he does He actually meets up with this female thief Who he discovers is going to die At the exact same moment as him They develop a relationship And then, well, they (laughs) Their relationship at first Seems to be uh, something that's working out very well And then they end up killing each other For reasons that are best exemplified In the context of the story Whether it be in the comic Or the TV show itself Liam, what did you think of the comic?
1: I did not read the comic.
0: (laughs) It's okay. As Julia mentioned, it is an extremely faithful adaptation of the story. So let's jump ahead to talk about that adaptation, since it's basically the same thing. And I do think that this is the first time that we've really... Run into something where it's like Here is something that was created In a comic form by Jodorowsky Here is someone bringing it to life In as accurate a way as possible It might give us some ideas Into some of the pitfalls If they ever do make that in-call film That they might run into Sticking with you, Liam What did you think of the the episode?
1: You know, I think there's some obvious limitations um, in the sense of, you know, the, the, it's not a huge budget show. So sure. the, the special effects might be a little rough for people. And the way of the storytelling where parts of it are uh, almost like glossed, you know, because the turtle sapiens are just sort of narrating what's happening, you know. So Though that, that is directly from the comic. I'm sure. I I'm have, just yeah, saying yeah. That, yeah. that for some viewers... That might be a weird way to tell a story. You know what I'm Absolutely. saying like there yeah. you're used to seeing it play out. For me, I liked it. I I I was already going in knowing there's no way even from just the opening credits, you know, this is not going to be a Disney production <laughs> special effects wise. And yeah. I think if you are someone who's watched a certain amount of sci-fi and horror productions for TV, you're already used to the special effects just being the best they can do. Right. Yeah. Uh, I still liked it. I, I think that for me, I knew going in that maybe it was going to be a little light on characterization. Like uh, we don't really get to know much about the, the woman that he falls for. Even as a character, we know that he's tough, but there's not much more there. That's okay. That didn't really bother me too much. But when it was over, I kind of thought it struck me as like a short piece in a comic book that I wouldn't necessarily think about much after the fact. And that's how the the show kind of works to a certain extent. Uh, But I got to be honest, even though the special effects aren't great. I love the turtle people, actually. Me too. I, I thought the turtle people were great. <laughs> and and I kind of, when it was over, that's what I was thinking about the most, is these weird turtle people that do mathematical equations to predict the future just because they like the drama. Like, notice, nothing about their prediction has anything to do with a savior saving the universe figure they're just like, yeah, humans come here occasionally. And then we know everything that's going to happen to them. And it's kind of fun. It it breaks up the monotony of living for 30,000 years. All right, (laughs) that's it. And I kind of like that. I thought that that in and of itself was a good time uh, to, it was a good idea that I liked play, seeing play out. Uh, But you know, it, it weirdly, it, it does make me curious to watch the rest of the series, but I don't know that I would, if someone I knew wasn't already a fan of whatever this is, this sort of thing. I don't know that I'd recommend it to someone because it's like, this is the thing that's going to get you into either heavy metal or low budget sci-fi shows. I don't know that this is going to break that door open for you, but I had a really good time with it and I'm probably going to watch the rest of the series now.
0: (laughs) It's a very easy watch because it's so short, because it's telling the self-contained story. And I did love the Turtle People. I love how it kind of ends with, like you said, it's almost like they're watching a TV show a montage of everything that's going on With the rest of this six years of this relationship That these two people have together And at the end they're like, well, that was that Boy, being alive for so long sure is boring <laughs> I was just going to turn over to you, uh, Julia uh, What did you think of this, uh, the the visual adaptation And what did you think of some of the changes that they made?
2: Uh, I, I Again, I thought this was fun I really enjoyed it I didn't think the special effects were annoyingly bad at all. I felt like no. they were I, I was fine with those. And again, turtle people, super cool. But the question <laughs> is, uh do you would you go to them to find out when you die? I mean that is one of the questions that you're asked
0: to kind of ponder. And one of the nice well, I'm things I'm asking about you. That, yeah, I know. I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna waffle on it for a second just to mention that in the uh intro to the Screaming Planet uh, collection of uh, Jodorowsky stories Each one of the stories has a little written intro From Jodorowsky himself And this one has a really interesting one About his, you know, n- not believing that you can see the future And the way that when you make predictions about the future It actually influences how people behave And I thought that that was really uh, an interesting take on it In terms of myself, absolutely not I, I don't want to know what's going to happen a week from now Because of that exact reason Because I feel like if I knew I was going to die in, even if it was... 50 years from now, I would completely change the way that I lived my life. I mean, the fact is we're all going to die at some point. It's not, it's, it it isn't an inevitability, but just the idea that knowing the exact minute, my life would start feeling like a countdown. And that is something that I think I would not be able to handle with the level of anxiety in which I existed every time of the moment of every day, every, every, every every day of my life. How about you, Liam? Would you want to know when you're going to die?
1: Not only is that not something I particularly care about, (laughs) <laughs> you have to try so hard. Like, the part that I think is so ridiculous is you could just die trying to get to the turtle people to find out when you die. Like, if, yes. if I was just at a market and someone's like, hey, give me 20 bucks, I'll tell you when you die, I was like, that that, that would be harder for me because I think there's some part of me that'd be like, oh, 20 bucks, that's, that's pretty good. I don't know, maybe <laughs> I could do that. But the idea that I'm going to risk my goddamn life to find out when I'm going to die is so uninteresting to me that no i would never do that
0: (laughs) yeah uh they do change a little bit about the show this main character they soften him a little bit in the uh comic he's a little bit more hard-nosed he talks right from the beginning that he's going to spend all the money on prostitutes and wine and and we and unlike the uh comic the 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 TV show actually shows him celebrating after this initial victory But what it also shows is that he takes the money that his partner The guy who ends up passing away and tells him about these turtle creatures When he, pa- he, ta- he gives that money to his family And they explicitly show him doing that to soften him a little bit I don't know if that's good or bad Because I think that the idea of the comic version is that he's kind of a bastard Making us like him more actually kind of throws the balance off i think at the very end where the the two characters kill each other though i think you got to do something to fill out the time a little bit because it is a very short story uh i'm glad that you brought up the special effects both of you but particularly what you were saying uh julia i thought they were pretty good for you know i again i understand that, that Compared to the level of special effects that we're talking about in 2013, which probably would have been around the time that, like Game of Thrones was starting up and things like that. Yeah, it's not like an American production, but I was kind of baffled and kind of blown away by the idea that between 2003 and 2013, European computer animation had gotten much, much better. Uh, so, you know, it, it, it's just amazing to watch Kaina uh, in tw- 2000, uh, um three and then ten years later that you could bring about full worlds, right? And even if the turtle uh characters seem to be a mixture of uh prosthetics and CG, which of course is the
2: idea Well and I you didn't ask, but I would find out. You would? why, yeah. why? tell us more about that? What what makes you it's interested like big, in it's going? like big fish, right? You're like, oh well I know I have another 30 years so I don't gotta worry about fucking dying. I right? used to just too. kind of be like great, well then I have kind of a free pass. Although it doesn't say that you won't be like terribly maimed. Or anything, that's like, true. Rock, or hook up to machines, yeah, yeah, yeah. But you're not going to yeah. die. So I was like, I, I feel like there would be, there would give me freedom in there. It was interesting that in this case, you're not
0: only told when you're going to die, but how you're going to die. In that, uh, <laughs> so it, it feel it feels like at least something that you could spend your rest of your time trying to avoid. But I guess there's no avoiding fate, and uh, I don't know if that's a lesson of what we're supposed to take away from this. There is, by the way, a suggestion in the story that it wasn't just free will that makes these two characters turn on each other, that there's actually the influence of this exploding planet and some metal that's flying through the the the, uh, the the galaxy that is actually impeding people's thoughts and making them act certain ways, which actually actually kind of muddles the story even a little bit more in terms of what I think I are supposed to take away from it. But I didn't care. I thought that the action was actually very interesting and intriguing. And it was just fun to watch something adapted this closely from a Jodorowsky work. Uh, Liam... What lessons should we take away? I know you didn't read the original thing, but just t- the idea of this as a piece of Joe work that was not directly penned by him. Does it tell us any lessons about maybe things that they should avoid when it comes to the movie version of the end
1: call? I don't know, actually. Well, I think to the extent that uh, even though we all kind of felt a little differently about the special effects I don't think the special effects can be the focus more than telling the story. And that, nice. that would be my anxiety about doing the in call or any other sort of project where there's these incredible visuals and opportunities for incredible special effects. I think one of the dangers of something that relies on special effects is ignoring um, the story or maybe not focusing on the story in order to get the effects or not even just special effects. I think Getting the aesthetics right. Like, aesthetics are important, but like, the thing that I want to be clear about about Kaina is that if I found the story more compelling, I might be a bit more forgiving of the aesthetics. Now, when it comes to animation, I think aesthetics are important enough that they can overwhelm what might be a weak story but when it comes to like a live action thing the characterization has to be there the story has to be there and if you're so focused on like how an explosion or a spaceship looks that you miss out on some of that storytelling it, it I think the movie suffers and so with this even though this is only a TV show as much as I I found the special effects at the beginning when they're in the spaceship distracting for me Sure. It didn't matter for the overall episode, which I ended up liking, you know, and I found the turtle people very charming uh, and and whatever. But I think when you're doing the in call, you might get so wrapped up in like, it's got to look like how Mobius drew it that you might ignore. Well, that's not – it's not just Mobius's art that makes the call compelling, though that is part of it. There's other aspects, too, that you got to make sure you're getting right and that you're and not distracted by other things, you know?
0: Yeah. Those aesthetics are important, but you're right. It's not key. The story is still going to be key. I will say one of the things I most liked about this adaptation was something that wasn't in the comic. It's when he goes to the, the bar and we get an establishing shot of the planet that he's on, which is kind of very Jodorowsky and very call like where it's just like ads everywhere for prostitutes and drugs. And all this sort of thing And it kind of gave me that feeling It's like, well, so how would you bring that world to life In a way that feels lived in and real Without making it so distracting Because it has to be so, you know, both um, familiar to us in our own world But also satirical and very very detailed It's something that I guess the, When we see the movie if it ever comes out That they're really going to have to tangle with Which I imagine again it's going to be very special effects based So it is something that they're going to have to avoid How about you uh, Julia Any? Uh, does it give you any lessons here regarding Possible hiccups with translating Jodorowsky
2: I think it gives me Hope for a good incal Because I feel like if you're going to translate it this way seriously to the original material that i'm on board for that um and you think about okay well you take this and you give it infinite budget right because taika watiti can do whatever he wants right now sure you give it infinite budget and you cast the right people and it'll be great right you just need to stick to the material and not spin off into some crazy watiti world
0: i wonder a little bit about things that work better in the comic format that might not necessarily translate. And that's one of the things that here, it's not as big of an issue because it is such a short work, but you know, there's always those things where something that might be very stretched out or action sequence that are just like three panels and that then having to translate to, you know, maybe six or seven minutes of screen time. And how does that feel in terms of the pacing of something Uh, here? Because they had to add elements to it. Like there's a part where he gets in a space battle that wasn't in the comic. And it's just like, it just stops the entire thing. Just to add this space battle that is completely unnecessary into it And you worry about that kind of adaptory uh, issues But I think that with people with a lot more time and resources and, and someone who's already a creative force himself in Taika Waititi Hopefully that's something we can avoid I really want basically a collaboration between YTT and Jodorowsky in terms of the work As opposed to something as direct a translation as this But I guess, hopefully, we'll see how that turns out Any final thoughts, Julia, on this uh,
2: Metal Herlant I, I do like that the turtle people kind of gloss over a bunch of action things. Yeah. They're like, hey, this battle, and then he went to this thing, and he did that thing. You're like, oh, cool, cool. We don't see it. Awesome. I kind of like that. we <laughs> are like, you want this act- this action? You don't
0: get it. Um, I love it. I love it in the episode because it feels like, oh, they're just trying to save money. But in the context of the comic, it's even funnier because it's like, well, you could have, but we're just not going to
2: show you it. It doesn't yeah. really matter. <laughs> Yeah, and the underlying moral is just you have people doing this because they're bored. Like That's kind yes. of an awesome motivation for that, so
0: I like it. Yeah, no, I, th- that's definitely my favorite part of it, for sure. Uh, Liam, any final thoughts on uh, on this uh, Metal Herline series? You said you're going to check out more episodes?
1: Yeah, I think so. I think I'll check it out, and it might be that maybe some of the other episodes are less interesting than this. It's hard to know if this is the height or just average for what to expect, but I'm definitely curious because... There's so much material to draw from from the history of the publication that I'm curious if they were even able to do other episodes that were are as like interesting as this one. They It might not. It might be that this is the best and the rest are not as good, but I'm willing to give it a try and see.
0: Yeah, well, maybe report back to us if you do get a chance to to, to do that. And if you are a listener who's seen this series and have some thoughts on it, you could always drop us a line over at cinemasmorgasboard.com. On the next episode of Jodowowski, we're going back into the comic universe, the Jodoverse itself, and the In-Call Extended Universe with the Techno Priests. We've now, we've covered all the In-Call books, we've covered the Meta Barons, it's time for us to look at the eight Issue spin-off series that began in 1998 Called The Techno Priest uh, Written by Alejandro Jodorowsky And uh, illustrated by Zoran Janjatov And Fred Beltran uh, Again, I don't know much about this I know that it's a lot of probably uh, An extension of some of the religious satire that we saw In the in but I really don't know For sure, and I'm very, very curious To see another one of his you know, Most celebrated works, and to discuss it On the podcast. Uh, Julia, you're
2: excited To check out The Techno Priest's Fuck yeah! So fucking pumped! I can't wait. (laughs) You guys, so Uh you underestimate my love for Jodo, man. I will go to length. (laughs) Like, give me as much as possible. Eight, eight volumes. Fuck yeah! (laughs)
0: <laughs> well I mean I had a lot of fun talking about the meta barons uh and that was obviously that was the kind of work where every issue was kind of its own separate thing that was also telling a larger story I don't know if that's what this is going to be like as well but yeah so the techno priest started in 1998 and it uh, finished up in 2006 just like uh meta barons it took a long time to tell this story and uh I, I I'm very curious about checking it out how about you liam you looking forward to the techno priests
1: yeah I mean I'm I'm a little bit like, I wonder what it's even going to be about, but yeah. I think that'll be interesting. So, yeah, I'm pretty excited.
0: Well, that'll be coming up on the next episode of Joe Julia, I know that you've been very busy. We actually, uh, we're all very busy at this point that we're recording. It's the end of October. or actually getting towards the end of October. Uh, tell us what you've been up to and where can people find you online?
2: Yeah, I have exciting stuff because I also um, I'm doing a programming series at Halloween at the Somerville Theater in Boston. It's my third year. So I get to program movies leading up to Halloween, which is super fun. Uh, I have two other podcasts you can find me on. You can find me on Horror Movie Survival Guide to learn how to survive horror movies. We have over 300 episodes, so there's lots to choose from and perfect horror recommendations for you. I'm also a loser on the Losers Club talking about Stephen King. (laughs) And I am online at Julia C. Marchesi.
0: Well, of course, a link to all of that on uh, on the show notes for this episode. Liam, at the time of this uh, release, it'll be right after, I believe, the end of October. But we have a lot of uh, great content over on Cinepunks regarding Halloween and and elsewhere. What uh, what can you tell people about that?
1: Oh, we got a bunch of uh, writing and special episodes that people can I check did a out. writing. I did. Yeah. Write. Yeah. Julia uh, wrote about uh, Pet Cemetery uh, as her introduction to horror, and I really liked it. Uh, also, a friend of the show, Michael Viers, wrote something. Uh, so, yeah, check it out. Cinepunks.com. That's C I N E P U N X. Dot com. And of course, if people want to hear more from us, Doug, they can go to cinemasmorgasbord.com where all the different uh, topics we cover are listed by topic. So if you just want to hear more Jodowowski, you can find all those episodes together as well as uh, all the other things that we talk about here.
0: You can find Cinema Sports still on Twitter slash X at Cinema Smorg, S-M-O-R-G. I'm on Blue Sky. Uh, you can just look up Doug Tilly on that. It's T-I-L-L-E-Y and find me on there. CinePunks is on all social media sites that you can find. And, of course, that's all going to be linked in the show notes as well. I want to thank you very much for listening to this hodgepodge episode of Jodowowski. Uh, we'll be back in just a few months with the Techno Priests. Good night, everybody.
1: Night, night. <laughs>